This podcast may contain coarse language and dark humour and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Come on, boy. Get up. You're going to die in bed. That's what my papa used to yell at me when I tried sleeping past 7am when I stayed with him as a kid. I didn't appreciate it then, but he's kind of got a point. I probably am going to die in bed. Shit. I'm going to die full stop. We all are. So what are you waiting for? Get up, you dickhead. You're gonna die in bed. Welcome to episode 7 of You're Going to Die in Bed, a mildly morbid Monday morning motivational podcast for creatives who suffer with their mental health. My name's Al, and I've struggled with symptoms of depression and anxiety disorder since before I was a teenager. As a creative, I've got some pretty big ambitions and goals, but I've constantly been at war with the negativity in my head. I find I'm often at my lowest first thing in the morning, while the failures of yesterday are fresh in my mind and the impending doom of the dawning day is upon me. It's my hope that this podcast can be the kick in the butt you need to get out of bed on a Monday morning and perhaps inspire you to get up and do the things that you want to do. And if I can't do that, I'll be happy just to provide a distraction from your waking woes with some blarney blather. Today on the show, I'm going to talk about setting goals and rewarding yourself for reaching them. I share the usual fear and uplifting news, and then I finish off by talking to musician and tram enthusiast Anthony Tonin. But first, here's some local news from You're Going to Die in Bed's very own Bullshit Bulletin. Good morning and welcome to the Bullshit Bulletin, the most reliable source of news on this podcast. In top stories this week, a local lady has been attending CrossFit classes for an entire month without telling anyone about it. When questioned by media, she said, well, I figure if someone's interested in it, they'll ask me. She is currently undergoing a psychological examination with psychologists hoping they can extrapolate their findings to develop a treatment for other crossfitters and other problem groups, such as vegans and Pentecostal Christians. A young couple from Gonville have come under harsh criticism for hosting their child's first birthday party without any bunting or without posting pictures of a blow-up balloon in the shape of one on social media. One guest reported feeling like it's almost as if they thought the child would never remember this day with another saying it's as if the parents weren't treating the party like a competition and just focused on being present with their child. Police have asked the public to be on the lookout for anyone wearing odd socks, or just one sock, after a single sock was discovered in the middle of Corfi Park on Sunday morning. It hasn't been determined whether the sock was from the left or right foot, but Consul Richard Hole says this, it's quite a lovely olive green with an impressive thread count. Forensic scientists believe the sock to have become separated from its owner's foot late on Thursday night. However, it remains unclear how the de-socking of the foot happened. And that's it for this week's Bullshit Bulletin. Until next time, stay classy, planet Earth. I love New Year's Day. It's a day that, even if I'm feeling pretty dusty from the previous night's toxin ingestion, I feel sort of fresh. New, hopeful, excited about the possibilities of the new year. I start to dream big, really big, too big. I say, that's it, 
This is the year I start getting up at 5am every morning to go for a run. I'll only eat food from the medieval era. I'm going to learn three languages and start 17 businesses. My history of often not reaching my goals is irrelevant because in this moment I feel invincible. Never again will I give in to my hedonistic desires and from this point forth I will be the perfect model of self-discipline and self-control. Anyway, we all know this story. January 3rd rolls around and that sense of purpose and motivation we momentarily felt is as long gone as the $800 we spent on hookers and coke the night before. And if you're anything like me, you've pretty much decided this year is a write-off, so you'll just wait till next year and have another crack. I was talking to my brother-in-law at a family weekend away recently, and he was talking about when trying to form new habits or build new routines, sometimes it's best to set the benchmark really low for ourselves, so low that it's almost impossible to fuck it up. I mean, it's still got to be an improvement. I could set a goal of drinking no more than 100 beers this week, and I'm pretty certain I won't fuck that up, unless my brother's visiting. But that's not actually going to be any different, as if I hadn't set a goal at all. Something I'm wanting to improve at the moment is the amount of sugar in my diet. I'm convinced that on top of promoting the storage of fat in my body, it's also contributing to my anxiety, amongst a plethora of other issues further down the track. The problem is, being the raging hedonist that I am, I rely so much on the instant gratification of eating sugary shit to help me feel momentarily better when I'm down. Now that's something I want to change, but if I try removing all the sugar from my diet cold turkey, I can guarantee you I'll cave within a couple of days, if not sooner. The result will be me feeling shit about myself, my lack of discipline and self-control, resigned to the fact that I can't change and I'll descend into a sugary binge. In the end, I'll actually be further from my goal than if I hadn't made a conscious effort to change at all. Anyway, I've repeated this cycle an impressive number of times for someone who's only been around the sun a handful of times. So it's time to try something different. In an attempt to save recently, I've started drinking instant coffee at home. And one day I had the wild idea of putting a little sugar in my coffee. And from that day forth, for the last few months, I've been a milk and sugar guy. The wanky coffee purist I formerly was would be judging me harder than a baby boomer would judge a millennial eating an avocado. Anyway, my goal for this week is to not add any sugar to my coffee. I can still eat my chocolate-covered, sugar-filled muesli bars and drink a McDonald's $1 frozen Coke, but I will not be adding any of the common man's crack to my coffee. I reckon I can do that. I reckon I'm going to tell myself that I'm fucking awesome for achieving this goal, and I'm going to feel a tiny bit better about myself for reaching it. I think I might even feel motivated enough to try setting myself another goal for next week. Maybe I'll kick the frozen coke off the menu. It may seem small and insignificant, especially to those freaks who just decide they're doing something and then do it. But for someone like myself, who has such bad trust issues with myself after countless broken promises, it's going to be a path to restoring some faith in myself and my ability to bring about change in my own life. Another thing my brother-in-law mentioned during our chat was the importance of rewarding yourself for meeting your goals, especially in the early days when the concept of forming positive habits and breaking negative ones feels so unattainable. You've really got to sweeten the deal for yourself. Perhaps in time, the achievement of your goals will be a reward enough in itself, but for now, you've got to form some really positive associations for sticking to your goals. If I can go the week without adding sugar to my coffee... I'm going to buy myself a nice big hoppy beer from the supermarket to say well done. Now historically when I've tried to set rewards for myself with goals that have been too ambitious, I've usually just gone ahead and partaken in the reward anyway. 
That in itself feels pretty shitty because I don't feel like I've earned it and I start telling myself all sorts of stories of what a piece of shit I am. But now, since I've set myself a goal I believe I can manage, I'm going to have a greater sense of joy when I sip at my frothy on Friday. And while downward spirals are something I'm all too familiar with, I'm hoping that I can create some upward momentum through setting goals and rewarding myself. So what's something that you could do this week? Something that's unfuck-upable but would still see even just the tiniest bit of improvement in your life or well-being? Big goals are great when you're in a headspace and rhythm to achieve them, but if you're always missing all your shots, maybe you should try moving a little closer to the hoop. Welcome to Uplifting News. That's right, it's Uplifting News, the part of the show where I go to reddit.com slash r slash uplifting news and read some of the more positive headlines of the news circulating the world's media. Uh, First up today, we've got a dad from Seattle who posts don't give up signs around town to lower suicide rates. He says, you never know who is struggling, which uh, couldn't be more true. Um, That's a very positive moment. Well done, man. Uh, A beloved mailman... Retired and the whole neighborhood turned out to say goodbye on his last day. That's pretty sweet. There's a, a cute photo of him having some emotional looking hugs. Very cool. Uh, one of the US's largest grocery stores plans to eliminate plastic bag usage by 2025, which is very cool. A little bit behind their America, but uh, better late than never. Well done. Half a century ago, elm trees were almost wiped out in the UK by a Dutch elm disease, but they are making a comeback with a variety of elm that is resistant to it. That's cool. Um, And lastly, I think this is awesome, Um, only nine people showed up for a KKK rally in Dayton, Ohio. They were drowned out by 600 protesters. Um, Yeah, the world is heading in a positive direction. Um, There's lots of good things out there. Uplifting news. Hi, it's Simon here from Simon Sticky Ticket. I bet you're still trying to get my stickers off your jars and bottles. Maybe you got most of it off, but there's still some residual glue or surge. Well, you're in luck, because today I'm going to tell you the secret to removing my sticky stickers. First, Start by filling the jar or bottle with some hot water and then allow it to sit for a week on your windowsill because you forgot about it. Then start to peel the sticker back real slow like until it starts to tear. Then rip it off really fast in anger so it leaves the paper backing. Scrape the jar or bottle with a knife or steel wheel to smush the glue around and spread it across the glass. Finally, take the jar and throw it into the bin. You're not getting my stickers off, bitch. Or else my name is Simon Sticky Stickers. Alright, today's guest is a history major. Uh, a very, very talented musician. Um, and a very lovely gentleman who I have just recently got to know. Um, and I've heard you make incredible cocktails, I've been told. Um, introducing Mr. Anthony Tonnen. So... Anthony, what's getting you out of bed? Um, well, actually, I, I've been trying a new system lately. I've always wanted um, a consistent sleep routine, um, but I've never really been able to, been able to have one because my mm. wife um, is a morning person and gets up really, really early um, and goes to bed at like 9, 9 p.m., um, 
And if I try to do that, I, I'm, I'm quite a late sleep phase kind of person. And so if I try to do that, I just wake up at 1am <laughs> and, um, and get insomnia. And, um, and I can sort of, there have been a lot of times when I've been able to get into a rhythm where I go to bed at maybe 10.30 or something and get up at, um, you know, 7 or something or 7.30. But um, then as soon as I go on tour, um, which is pretty often, um, then the gig finishes at 10.30 if I'm lucky. I pack up the, the gear um, and I get to a hotel at midnight. Um, and so I always always have to throw throw whatever sleep pattern I've had out the window. Um, but lately I've been I've been trying to make a system that I can use no matter what is happening. Um, and I, I, the other thing is that I really like getting up early, like not not seven thirty, but like six thirty. And um, it's yeah, so it's really hard hard for me because it's like I have this desire to get up early, um, but because I'm also destined to every couple of weeks have work that keeps me up till twelve, I can't um, I can't have anything consistent. But then I realised that my dad, for the last who's a tradesman, for the last twenty years, he's gone to bed at midnight and gotten up at six thirty, um, and he just has a nap. In the afternoon I'm like well if anybody knows what my proper sleep cycle is it's my dad um so I've been giving it a go and and the funny thing is that it really it make it's starting to make sense now because on tour you always have to get up earlier than you want to because you you have to do a really long drive um so on tour I'm usually going to bed at midnight getting up at 6 30 or 7 or something Going, driving for five hours and at three o'clock I have this superpower of being able to nap really easily even though I can't fall asleep at night I can at th if it's 3 p.m all I have to do is put in hip uh, earplugs and put on an eye mask lean the car seat back a little bit and I will I'll sleep for 15 minutes um, awesome so I realized shit this is maybe this is it maybe this is yeah um, maybe this is what I should should try um, uh, I don't know. It's going. It's going good. Can you time it well that you don't get the post nap depression? Yeah, I, I don't even wake up. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, I don't. Um, I don't. I don't stay asleep. Like I can't. I can't nap for more than twenty minutes. Yeah, right. That, that's, that's a the, gift. Well, I mean, I tried to look into it. I, I'm still trying to tweak it. You know, I, I'm trying to. I, at first, I thought, well, six hours isn't very much. Um, so I need. I need like a full sleep cycle. I need like an hour and a half nap but i can't do it i just wake up yeah. after 20 minutes um so that's good I'll, I'll, ideally i want to see if i can get to like seven and a half hours in the evening and then still have the 20 minute nap i reckon that that would be that's my plan but at the moment i just keep going to bed too late <laughs> yeah right <laughs> awesome yeah um yeah so what's what's getting you excited at the moment um What's that, that thing that you wake up in the morning and you're like, shit, yeah, today I'm going to go do, Well, I'm uh, look at some trains. Well, yeah, as part of this, I'm trying to re, um, I'm in a kind of recalibration period. I, I just came out of a lot of touring and um, when, you're, when you're playing shows every week, I'm, I'm a real perfectionist um, and I practice a lot. So if I've got a show that week, that's the week gone because I just have to practice for the show. 
Um, so it's the first time in a little while that I've had a, a couple of clear months without shows. Um, and I, I'm also coming out of album phase. Like I had, the last time I was really in a songwriting phase, um, I was doing Mondays and Tuesdays where I would go to a studio every Monday and Tuesday and try to spend the whole day songwriting. And, um, and at a certain point I said, okay, I've written like 15 songs now and I now just have to goddamn finish this album. Um, and so those, that Monday and Tuesday kind of accidentally just became more like recording and producing and polishing things off. But now I've finished this record and it's time to get that songwriting thing back. And also I'm a bit, I feel like it never should have gone in the first place. It should have been, I really, I, I, my, one of my big goals is to always, is to always be writing. Mm. And um, so I've been resetting everything. Um, I've got all what I, I've been rearranging my priorities a little bit. Um, and the way I've been doing it, because, um, you know, like I always write stuff in books and, um, you know, I use, uh, you know, online calendars and all that kind of stuff. But um, it never kind of works. You can never kind of see far enough. Um, but what I've discovered in the last month is um, cutting up bits of paper and blue tacking them to my wall everywhere. Real uh, beautiful mind sort of, sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of embarrassing. It looks like I'm hunting a serial killer. <laughs> um, I just need the bits uh, of string. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> the Wanganui strangler? Yeah. I started with this one corner of my wall where I'm like, what the hell am I – like, what do I do? Like, what's my, what's my job? Because there's so many facets of what I do. And so I put up two central bits of paper and one, one bit of paper is um, – this show that I tour called a synthesized universe where um, I perform in a, in a planetarium mm. um, and I'm, and that's been going really well and I'm, I'm looking to tour that further. Um, and that was one big central A4 size piece of paper. And then the other one right beside it on the other side of it was, was writing and I wasn't having a problem with touring or booking the tours, but I was having a problem with making sure the writing was happening because the writing, you don't have a deadline. You, no one tells you to do it. And good for me, good writing, a good writing practice is doing it for no reason. It's not doing it because you have to, um, you know, because you've said that you, you're going to do this thing or you've said that you're going to deliver it to somebody. It's It's like, you've got to create a process that is not tied to modern economics, you know? Um, and I put some other bits of paper around. I've got this other tour that I do once a year where um, I take the entire audience on a train. And, you know, so that went sort of in the top corner. And and, and then eventually I was like, okay, yeah, I can see I can see my whole practice. I can see the the different facets of what I do. And then I just put this piece of paper below it and it said, uh, it essentially said, what are you doing right now? Is it one of these things? If not, stop. Yeah, right. Because, <laughs> you know, sometimes you're on the computer and you're answering this email and it's taken you like 45 minutes to answer this email. And you're just like, is this, some, is this my job? No, it's not. Like, and, and it's funny because um, our mutual friend Jack came over the other day and 
Jack can can hassle me a lot, especially if I start talking about um, public transport. Um, and I I was kind of embarrassed because I thought he would give me a lot of shit. And he saw that piece of paper and he's like, I like that. Yeah, that just makes sense. You should totally put stuff on your wall like a serial killer hunter. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, I felt, that's awesome. felt better about it, yeah. Are you um, naturally someone who ha- has been able to be like, just been organized and planning sort of come naturally to you? Because I know, um, I think it's Jordan Peterson, is that the, the buzz? buzzword psychologist at the moment um said that creative people are often high in openness but low in conscientiousness so they're open to new ideas and whatnot but um often bad at putting the things in place to um make that shit happen is this sort of a, a new part of your creative routine getting i can't get past the jordan peterson thing i hate that guy you hate that guy oh <laughs> yeah, sorry anyway I, yeah I, anyway, I, I noticed anyway. i noticed your face changed when i when i said his name <laughs> yeah yeah no no but i i get i get I get what he, um, I get what he gives to a lot of people actually, and mm. I know I know there's such a big desire for that, um, and I I get it, you know, like I need everybody needs that that kind of um, clean your room kind of thing. Um, mm. But last question was was I am I always no no I, you know I mean when I was in primary school yeah my my teachers said Anthony is organised. Right. Um, but and had I had I gotten a real job, um, I think I think my boss would have probably said Anthony's organised. He does his job well. But having a boss that requires you to be organised, um, and then being organised for yourself, not for and 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 then it's one thing to be self-employed and organised. For for something that people pay you for, but to be to be organised for something like songwriting, for which the gains are so intangible and so far down the road, and often there just are no gains, and as you're doing it as much for mental health as anything else, it's really hard. It's really really hard, man. Um, and anybody who tells you it's easy. Um, well, I, I want to meet them because um, yeah. cause it's hard, man. And I'm always and I'm always trying some new scheme, you know. There's always a scheme. It's like, okay, my scheme this time, you, you know, like uh, actually my scheme before this was, um, and I'm just kind of doing this again now, but like no coffee till I've done my songwriting that day, you know. Right. It's actually quite, and I, I'm still using that actually because yeah, your, cool. your mind's all floaty um, before you have the coffee. And also, also, it's like, do your songwriting and get to have a coffee. Yeah, there's always got to be a. You, you just got to keep trying and trying. Like I, I, I always loved. Um, have you read the Paul Zollo interview with Leonard Cohen? I haven't. No. Um, that, it's a classic, and and um, you, you know, he, the thing that people remember from that interview was that Leonard Cohen had coffee with Bob Dylan, and um, there was a song that Leonard Cohen liked of Bob Dylan's. And he said, oh, how long did it take you to write this? And Bob says, 15 minutes. How long did it take you to write Hallelujah? Leonard Cohen said, two years. And then he said to Paul Zollo, but I was lying. It took me 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) And he talks about writhing on the floor, screaming in a hotel room because he can't get lyrics. Um, And it's it's just such a heartening, generous and honest 
interview because it really shows you um, what that it's not easy for anybody. Mm. Songwriting's songwriting is so hard. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I, and w- what he said in that interview, which I always say, is everything works, nothing works. So try everything. Sure. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of. Um, I feel like those are two quite different approaches to songwriting. And that you you get a, a different product. Like one, like one is kind of like method acting, essentially, where you're just really committing to getting the song to be something that um, you, you're really working it and reworking it and ironing it out to craft it into this sort of thing. Yeah. And you're becoming that and embodying that. And one is just sort of like, I guess, what what's not method acting, character acting. I don't know the where you just show up and you put it on, and what you do is what you do. Um, in a sense where you're like, cool, I'm just going to write a song in half an hour and then the finished product, this is what I created within that time frame. Um, I feel like there are, you know, it is not necessarily one, one is better than the other, um, but it is kind of like a different product that you yeah. create. But then uh, actually in the same book, this is called Songwriters on Songwriting. Oh, okay. Really worth getting. But yeah, I say we're worth getting, but honestly, you – you do everything. You buy the books. You're like, yeah. okay, this is going to get me inspired. It gets you inspired for two seconds, and then it just depresses you because you've tried you've tried yet another thing that doesn't work. But the irony of me saying that is that in that same Paul Zolo songwriters on songwriting book, Van Dyke Park says the best thing about songwriting. He says there has never been a reproducible way to produce a song. Sure. You write it one way, and you're like, this is my system now. Now I'm going to write the next song like this. Doesn't work. You have to you have to invent building methods every time you build the house that is a song. You you know, what, one time you've got to build a floating aqua house, the next time you've got to build an apartment. You know, um, that's that's kind of that. I mean that, and that's why songwriting's interesting, mm. and and why when I put on a an album by a friend, um, it's finally come out. And I've been waiting for it for a couple of years, and they've got a song that is completely killer. That's why it. it moves me to tears because i mean maybe it only took them 15 minutes or half an hour if so they got uh, the gift of a lifetime because you know that might it might not happen again in that same Mm. way but at the same time i've heard i've heard songs that people have labored over to death or that had terrible terrible lyrics when they first wrote them and now have awesome lyrics and that that is really meaningful to me when i know someone's worked on it so long and and made it work you know Mm. awesome man well hey thanks so much for having me uh this time i'm actually recording this in anthony's lovely uh 1930s house art deco yeah 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 it's a beautiful art deco thing we didn't even talk about how when this house was built there were trams in wanganui yeah but you did well to steer us away from (laughs) that (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> didn't, didn't want to derail us um, too much. Yeah, so thanks for having me and thanks for your time. Um, I have thoroughly enjoyed this. Oh, kia ora, Alan. Thanks for your your podcast. It's been actually really heartening for me to, to put it on in the morning. Awesome. And, um, and help me get out of bed. Cool. Thanks, bro. Cheers. Cheers. Alrighty, that's it for episode seven. Thank you for listening. Um, I'm currently wrapping this up from... A McDonald's car park using their free Wi-Fi as we just moved house 
and data prices in New Zealand are extortionary. Um, I'm looking at you, Vodafone, Skinny. Oh, you're all just as bad as each other. Anyway, uh, have a great week. Like, subscribe. Tell me it's good. Tell me it's shit. Whatever. I don't care. Just go out and do some cool shit. Cheers. Sounds crazy, but just maybe I'm crazy now.